walking through somewhere last week, and I was thinking about Christmas time and the sense of fellowship and maybe people you don't see all the time, and I was thinking about it would be good to sit down with some folks and not have no, no agenda. But then I thought, you know, between there, which was last week, and Christmas, there are going to be families having tragedy in the next two weeks. And there'll be somebody missing at Christmas. And, you know, we're not the exception to the rule. It could be us, you know. Uh, but I've already seen three of those tragedies just since I had that thought. I thought about how good it's going to be to slow down, kick out of gear for a few hours, and uh, just enjoy people's company. And then, then I thought, you know, some people are going to have tragedy between here and there. And Christmas is not going to be so good for them. And, uh, of course, I buried somebody yesterday. And Teresa Smothers, her uh, brother-in-law, lived here. Just He was another one. Went to Had a heart cath, had stent, and thought everything was fine. And some plaque broke loose. And he lived here, 64. And the guy I buried yesterday was 46. And this young lady here... I guess I can say that now because I'm close to 60 and she's 30-some. Young lady, 30-some years old. So I guess uh, let's count our blessings and be thankful for everything we have and for God watching over us and protecting us. Uh, let's look at Exodus 32. We're alive now and uh, welcome all you guys that are joining us and we'll pick this up later, come back around and we'll listen on our podcast if you don't know this already we're on podbean and apple and all that i think our podcast that's just the audio so uh obviously you can watch all this stuff on youtube we're live right now just like we are on sunday and some folks uh, pick us up certainly a lot of people on sunday but here on thursdays and wednesdays too so glad for all you all we're in exodus chapter 32 where this Golden calf just comes out of nowhere, they said. <laughs> uh, now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So they're losing vision real quick, right? What, what knocks you off track? Or does it, hopefully nothing, but... What can get you flustered to where you just kind of back away from God? You know, we need to guard against those things uh, and grow. They're, they're like, Moses is gone. What's up? And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons. Uh, now they said, make us gods. And so Aaron's going to go along with it. He knows better. But he's going to go along with it. He says, tell you, uh, the women to break off their earrings and uh, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Who done that? Aaron. Then they said, remember that. <laughs> then they said, this... Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, 
this is foolish, right? I mean, it's foolishness. Uh, but if we sit down and think about some of the decisions we've made, <laughs> they're foolish too, aren't they? And, uh, but this is pretty foolish. I, I get it. Uh, this is your God. Now, Isaiah argues about Israel getting into idolatry and how they cut down a tree and make an idol out of it and then whatever's left over, they burn in the fire. So he, he kind of says, you know, you need to wake up that this God, little g, you created, the same substance you created him with, you take the rest of it over here and destroy it. So he's trying to get them to understand they have power over that wood. That wood doesn't have power over them. <laughs> Same thing's true with this calf, you know. This calf was made by man's hands. So Aaron saw it, built an altar before it. Aaron made a proclamation, said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. Quickly, he said. Uh, they have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, I used to, and about 20 years ago now, I studied Isaiah extensively. And we did a pretty exhaustive study a couple of years ago. And it took us a year and a half. But it's, it's up. You can watch it and listen to it. Either or. But uh, I used to think that sexual immorality was the last straw before a nation was judged. But it's idolatry. Because once you get into sexual immorality... Then you start looking for a God that's okay with how you live. And so you got all these false gods and even new gods we create, right? And that are promote sexual immorality in their, I hate to even call it this, but in their worship settings. And they, they so you, it, your conscience is such a valuable part of us uh, to get us to feel in that conviction Part of that conviction comes from our conscience and discernment. And it's such a beautiful thing that God gave us. Uh, and so if, you're, if you are going doing wrong, you either need to repent and turn around, or you're going to have to, if you're going to continue in that and desire to continue that, you're going to have to do something with your conscience because it's right there nagging at you, right? So Israel fell into this. So you need to find a God that's okay with whatever, sexual immorality or whatever. But when I started studying Isaiah, I realized that idolatry was the last straw. And there's more to it than that. From God's perspective, from humans' perspective, they're trying to ease their conscience. Now, James talks about you can get so far gone with your conscience that it becomes seared like a hot iron and it don't operate correctly anymore. And then Paul talks about people who are reprobate, whose conscience no longer retains God in their knowledge. They've just went that far. So that's a dangerous spot. But that's from our perspective. We, we want false gods 
because we want gods that let us do whatever we want to do, right? That's human nature. But from God's perspective, it's different. It's a slap in his face. He's the one that brought them out of Egypt. He's the one that parted the Red Sea. He's the one that made quail come down and manna come down. He's the one that brought water out of the rock. He's the one that took care of them. And for them to turn and look at some idol they made and give it the credit for all that is a slap in God's face. And so idolatry is like the last straw. See, that's what happened when he said Israel went back home this last time. When they went back home... God rid them of idolatry. He said, in Jeremiah, he said, when they go home the last time, idolatry will not be a part of their culture anymore. And it's not. Now, they're into everything else, (laughs) just like Americans are. But idolatry is no longer a part of Israel. America, we've resisted idolatry, but we're starting to break down toward that even more now. We let these false gods come in. We've let them build false synagogues to false gods in our country. Um, And we've set up even monuments in our country that are false gods. So we're toying with that idea more and more. And there's a lot of people in this country that would like for us not to be called a Christian nation anymore. In fact, a lot of people aren't doing that. And you could argue whether we really are, majority-wise, and that's probably true. But we were founded that way, and we've kind of held on to that, and we're still hanging on to Israel which I like, and not turning our backs on them. But idolatry is a slap in God's face. For us to get all the good things we have from him, and then to turn and, and what if you want to call that, that thing in the corner an idol, and turn to that and start worshiping that, and giving it the thanks and the praise for being fed, for being sustained. That's a slap in God's face. So idolatry brings nations to the, <clears throat> to the brink of judgment. And so they fell into that. And, and the Lord told Moses, you're going to have to get down there. They've turned away quickly. They've corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And said, this is the one who brought you out of Egypt. Verse 9 says, and the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. Indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. So basically, God's saying, I'm going to get rid of all them and start over with you. Kind of what he did with the ark and, and the flood. He's proposing that here. And then Moses pleaded with the Lord and, and his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob. Your servants to whom you swore to uh, uh, by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land I have spoken of I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented or backed away from the harm which he said he would do to this people. Now, 
this Moses is a great intercessor. The I want to, I want to define something here for you so you can understand this. Intercessors do not pray for their will. They pray for the will of God to be done. And in fact, Jesus called all of us to do that, right? We read the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thou. So an intercessor steps in and prays for the will of the Lord. What's Moses saying to God? Remember what you promised. Remember these guys. It's not that God had a memory lapse. We understand that. There's a beautiful lesson being taught here about intercession, how we intercede. <clears throat> you remember when Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain and he didn't rain for three and a half years? Then he prayed again. He was interceding. The reason what he was interceding, and this is what Moses is doing, it was based on God's word. Elijah had remembered or called to mind that God said, if Israel gets in idolatry, I'm going to withhold the rain from them. So what Elijah did is he took God's word and prayed that it would come to pass. That's an intercessor. Somebody who lays their will aside for God's will to come. And so they, he based his intercession on the word of God that had already been spoken. I believe he had spoken it to Solomon, right? About that he would withhold the rain if they fell into idolatry. God would judge them. That's how the judgment would start. And then ultimately, if they wouldn't turn, they would lose their nation status. And that's what happened to them. So an intercessor is somebody that, that has the ability to lay their own agenda down and pray for God's will to be done. And those people that live like that, you know, that I, I used to probably, I grew up with a distorted or a slant maybe toward monks and people like that thinking, is that really worth anything to just pull yourself out of the culture and, and have nothing to do with the world and but, you know, some people feel called to be intercessors. And that's, they give their whole life to it. They're behind the scenes. Some of them are not in monasteries or the place where uh, the nuns hang out. What do they call that? I just lost that. Convent. Convent, yes. So not every intercessor is there. And not all of those people are intercessors. I don't want to suggest that. But... When the ones I've talked to, they pray every day for innocent, the, kill, the shedding of innocent blood to stop. And we know that's God's will, right? He, he judges nations for shedding innocent blood. So some of those guys that I've met, they're devoted to praying for the will of God constantly. And they get up, they go. And, and, and I know you can, but it's all about the heart, right? You could argue, you can get into a routine that becomes a religious thing like the Pharisees. True. All that's true. But it's really about the condition of the heart. So you can still have somebody whose heart's right, who may get up. They go, they go to worship seven times a day up there. Seven times a day. They're just committed to going. Do some of them probably get ritualistic about it and it's, and it's just a habit? Yeah. But there's probably... And I think I've met a couple of them 
that are serious and sincere in what they're doing, right? Because Elijah said, remember what he said? He got over and he said, I'm the only one left. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I'm the only dude that gets it. And the Lord said, no, you're not. <laughs> he said, I've got 7,000 guys like you that haven't bowed to the false gods and haven't kissed his image. So it's easy to fall into that, and it's easy to just look at a monster and say, those guys are weird, and they, but not all of them are. Maybe some of them are, but hey, you can look at churches and say the same thing, right? There's some people in there that are weird, <laughs> right? You can look at your job, right? Or look at your little uh, community and say, there's weird people everywhere. But there's also, God has people everywhere that love him that are committed and what kind of person does it take to say, I'll be that intercessor. I'll be behind the scenes. Nobody will ever really know my name, but I'm going to pray for the will of God. I got a feeling, everybody say the preacher's got a feeling. <laughs> I got a feeling that when we get to heaven, the people in charge of us, we may have never seen or known their name. The ones that were really laboring in prayer. And praying for the will of God to get done. And so Moses is stepping up to be an intercessor here. And it works, right? God backs away from his desire to destroy them. I, whoo, if you think you get frustrated with watching the world, just think how much God gets frustrated with it. He sees everything all over the whole globe, not just our little pocket, right? And he, just think how, how frustrated... I don't even know if you can use that word with God, but how much it's, uh, he has to see and take in and think about uh, of his creation, the people he's created. And uh, Moses' turn went down from the mountain. <laughs> What's funny is Moses steps in into that moment of anger because it's okay to be angry. You're just not allowed to sin, right? Be angry and sin not. So Moses kind of cools all that situation down. Then he turns around and gets mad and goes down. Watch what happens. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain. And the two tablets, the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides. And on the one side and on the other were written. Now the tablets were the, ark of, uh, were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. So, you know, and you all have heard me talk about this lately. This false history that says that these people didn't know how to read and write back. Uh, God didn't write something down there they couldn't read. So I think it's important that we understand God's the one that wrote this. So this wasn't man's idea. And so it comes down when Joshua heard the noise of the people and, and as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, is it not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat? But the sound of singing I hear. Now Moses has already been told there's a problem, right? God told him there was a problem because God sees everything. And then Joshua comes down and hears it and he's talking to Moses. says, it sounds, sounds like they're having a big time. And so it was as soon as they came near the camp that they saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot. <laughs> and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He's upset. And that represented man being under the condemnation of a broken law. He couldn't keep it for two days. <laughs> he could, they couldn't act right just long enough for Moses to go up and talk to God and come back down. 
Man, we couldn't live it without the work of Christ and without the Holy Spirit. So he, there, we, there mankind stands under the condemnation of a broken law, a law they could not keep. So Moses, the tablets are broken, and then he took the calf uh, which they had made, burned it in fire, and ground it to powder. And he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So Moses given Aaron kind of the benefit of the doubt. Like, did they hold you hostage? Did they? <laughs> and Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people. They are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it in the fire and this calf came out. <laughs> That's our nature, isn't it? <laughs> Don't you love the Bible? It's better than anything Hollywood comes up with. I mean, you read about, you talk about a dysfunctional family. Uh, Jacob's family was dysfunctional. You read about all that. My daughter, since she was like five, she came downstairs with a pair of scissors in her hand. Her hair had been cut. She had the evidence in her hand, hair in one hand, scissors in the others, but she blamed it on Josiah, my son. <laughs> That's human nature, isn't it? <laughs> Poor Josiah, the middle child. So they, they, uh, it's just our nature, right? I didn't. My brother, my dad worked on the railroad. Sometimes he'd have to work late, so he would pack extra stuff in his lunch just in case they, they called it dogged. They worked so long they couldn't get back home, they'd have to call a taxi or whatever. And sometimes he wouldn't work late, and he would have stuff in his lunch. So my brother and I took turns going to his lunch when he got home, see if there was anything left. Oatmeal cake, moon pie, or a Snickers or something, you know. So it was my turn to get... The what was left that day, and I went. There's nothing, and so I thought. Well, I went and asked Dad. I said, "Well, did you eat everything today?" And he said, "No." I said, I "Said I left something in there." And so I went to my brother. I said, "Did you get what was in there?" And he said, "No, I didn't get that Snickers bar. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't even know what was in there." But he told on us. <laughs> uh, but so that's our nature, right? To def deflect. The guilt. It can't be my fault. That calf just come out on his own. And you know how the people are. So Aaron's kind of deflecting all that. And it's our nature. I mean, he tells him some of it's true. He told him, he said, I'm the one that said, bring your earrings, get them here. And he said, then all this took place. And, when, and now when Moses saw the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the, in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. Wow. So there's a couple of things going on here. It sounds to me like that everybody could have come over there and stood if they'd have wanted to, right? He said, whoever, he didn't just say the Levites, he said, whoever 
is on the Lord's side, get over here. Some of them were probably mad. Some of them were probably wanting to live that way. For whatever, we don't have all the background information, but we do know it looks like there was an all call there. Whoever is on the Lord's side, get over here. And for whatever reason, some of them didn't do it. Now here's the sad, it's a sad reality because of what sin started in the garden. But there's going to be a, a last day for all of us. All humans. And putting off God is not a good idea for, especially people who are lost. Because none of us have the promise of tomorrow. Like I said, I buried a 46-year-old man yesterday. Now, nobody anticipates leaving here in their 40s. So, it's dangerous. It's like playing Russian roulette for somebody who's lost. It's like playing Russian roulette. You're just gambling that you'll wake up again tomorrow. And that's not always true. It's not always true. And so these people, for whatever reason, decided not to sign up on God's side. And they're getting destroyed. So the sons of Levi, verse 28, did according to the word Moses, uh, Moses and about 3,000 men, people fell that day. <clears throat> we all have compassion. And we're trained to love people regardless of, of, of their state, right? It's hard for us to understand, especially if you're a Christian, how deep hatred can run. Because we're, it's, it's illegal for us, right? We're not allowed to have unforgiveness. We're not allowed to hang on to it. But I read some of those reports. They won't show them. You know, some of the stuff that happened in Israel, people, they, they're not showing to the public. They talk about some of it. And you, if you've caught an interview to the people that have been allowed to see that, it, it's horrifying. But it's hard for us to understand how that Hamas could rape and kill a Jewish woman, take her back to Gaza, drag her body down the streets, and the women and children who are not Hamas would come out and keep stabbing a dead woman. It's hard for us to understand that kind of hatred that's bred into them. It's hard to understand why God said, when you go into this country, He told Israel, said, kill everybody. Women, children. It's hard to understand that when those children were making fun of the prophet that God sent a wild bear out of the woods and killed every one of them. Now, if you read that in Hebrew, they weren't children, as we would say. They're teenagers. They were old enough to know better. See, I, here's what I think. I'm going to say something here that some people are not going to like. I'm not saying you all be in that crowd, but I'm worldwide, so somebody's not going to like what I'm getting ready to say. I believe we're all way more accountable for our decisions than what we let on or what we like to believe. If God said we're going to have to give an account for every idle word we speak, 
That's serious business. And I think a lot of people would say, well, they didn't know what they were doing when they done that. Well, why didn't they? Had they spent 20 years turning a deaf ear to God? If you spend 20 years turning a deaf ear to God, you're going to get to where your mind don't work right. That's no excuse in my book. If you've resisted God for 25 years when He's tried to get your attention with His truth, and then you get out here 25 years later and you are out of your mind, why are you out of your mind? It was your fault. It wasn't God's. See, I just think we're letting people off the hook too easy. And God, here's the good news. Matthew's not the judge. God is. But He knows everything. He knows what people are accountable for, what they know, what they don't know. There ain't no pulling the wool over God's eyes. He said, uh, Nathaniel come over there and he said, yeah, Nathaniel. He said, I saw you under that tree over there. <laughs> he wasn't nowhere around the tree, but he's God, right? In the flesh, he knew where he sees everything. So this trying to cop out, right? And, you know, God's been faithful to show himself, the Bible says in Titus, that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. We don't know exactly how God does that, but he does it. He's faithful. People aren't leaving this life without coming in contact with the Lord. It's not his will that any would perish. But men are stubborn, right? They, they, Jesus said it well. He said, people, this is hard to fathom. People love darkness more than they love light. I mean, that's, that's hard to swallow, isn't it? It, it? You know, of all the repentance that goes on during the seven years of tribulation, and there's a lot because the Bible says there's a number that no man can number coming out of that great tribulation that's been redeemed out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. That's good news, right? But then there's that group of people that shake their fist at God and curse Him. And I'm like, just like the guy yesterday in front of the Turkish parliament. Did y'all see that? He's, this is like 24 hours ago. He's given Israel down the road. And the last thing he said, he said, Israel will face the wrath of Allah. Bam, fell over with a heart attack, bounced off the floor. As soon as he said it. You bless Abraham, you'll get blessed. You curse him, you'll get cursed. I think we're going to see a lot more supernatural stuff going forward from God's perspective on showing Himself, but also from judgment. If you read about those two witnesses, what happened in Turkish parliament's nothing compared to what's coming. Those two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, the Bible says, until their time's up, and this is good news for all of us, God will take care of us. We're not going nowhere till our time's up. If we're followers, right? If we're following Him. But the Bible says fire will come out of their mouth and kill their enemies if they try to harm them. Now that's big. <laughs> so God's in charge. And I think, if I could say it this way, I think in the supernatural realm, we better brace ourselves because I believe God's getting ready to show Himself. On behalf of Israel, on behalf of the church, so that the world will clearly know there's only one God and he's in charge.
Because evidently they're not getting it with the weather. <laughs> That's the one place God lets us know who's in charge. He controls the weather. And now men are thinking they can change the weather. I feel like God says the same thing in, uh, to that as he does in Psalm 2. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh about that. So we, we need to brace ourselves. I, I believe I got a word from God the other day about America. I'm not ready to release that yet. <clears throat> but I, I believe he spoke something very clearly to me that's getting ready to happen in America. We, I wasn't asking either. And that's usually how that comes. I was laying there just really meditating and, and they shot that in me. I wasn't thinking about nothing he said. He just shot it in me. We're getting ready to see the supernatural at work on both sides. I think the enemy's going to do what he can do, but I believe God's going to show supernaturally. He's going to show his power on behalf of his people, but he's also going to show supernatural judgment. And that's why I believe those guys in Ezekiel 38 are going to be reluctant about coming down because God's going to start showing himself. And they really, the Bible said he had to put a hook in their jaw and bring them down because once they see what happens in Gaza and Damascus and Jordan before this thing's done, they're not going to want nothing to do with that. And God said, he, but I, here's what I believe is happening. God, they're going to get punished. And God's saying, no, you're not getting to stay out of this. You've been running your mouth and going against my people too long. You're going to come down here and get your punishment too. So that's what the world's getting set up for. I'm excited. I'm excited about where we're going to. But I think we've got to brace ourselves because there's going to be warfare. It's going to be in the spiritual realm and in the natural. We need to brace ourselves for that. And God has given us forewarning with his word, with this prophetic word we got a couple of years ago, three years ago. He's given us forewarning. So we need to make sure that we're ready for the battle. <clears throat> All that was free added on to Exodus. <laughs> so uh, saw the people, he come down, the Levites, they're taking them out. And he says, uh, verse 30, now it came to pass the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people. <laughs> now he's on the other side. Oh, these people have command, committed a great sin and, 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 and have made for themselves a, gold, a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. Now, you know, he was upset and angry because he knew the, the problems that was going to arise from this. But he still was interceding for them. You hear what he just said? He said, if you're going to take them out, he said, I'm asking you to forgive them. But if you're going to take them out, he said, you might as well block me out too. That's intercession right there. That's somebody standing in the gap. And so Moses understood his own frailty and his need for God's mercy or he would have never said that. We were reading in our staff meeting this morning from one of the monks, Bernard of Clairvaux, uh, St. Bernard. He, uh, I think he was like around 1050s or something like that. He, um, he's talking about humility. And he's talking about one of the best ways... To grow in humility 
Basically, it's to recognize your own need for God. And uh, we, I think Moses understands that. Now, what happened? He's, he's an intercessor. He's a deliverer. All those are pictures of Jesus. What's Jesus doing right now? He's interceding on our behalf. What did he do on the cross? He interceded, right? He said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing here. He interceded on our behalf. But he took it a step further than Moses. Moses said, if you're going to kill them, kill me. Jesus said, kill me instead of them. He took it further because he, he was the sacrifice. He was the atonement for our sins. But Moses was a picture of all that, right? And the Lord said to Moses, whoever's uh, sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now, therefore, go lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So God's going to bring some trouble later on. But he tells Moses, get back and keep doing what he's been doing. And uh, the ones that sinned against him. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. So the Bible blames or gives credit to Aaron for making that calf. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, the Hizite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. I'll talk more about them next week. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So God's withdrawn himself to some degree, and when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments, for the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in the one moment and consume you, now therefore take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. So the reality has set in on them, you know. You have those moments in your own life. All of us do. It's easy to get caught up in life. It's easy, easy, even easy to get caught up in church stuff. But every now and then I have those moments where I just sense His holiness so much that it paralyzes me for a moment. Just how real and how holy God is. It's easy to be nonchalant if we're not careful. It's easy to get caught up in the motions of doing something, even being a parent or a grandparent. And just think... You're not gathering with those grandchildren this year just to give them a present. You're gathering with them, hopefully, to rub off on some of the faith that's in your life into them. You're not going just to give them presents and cookies and milk. He said, hey, Timothy, where did that come from in you? They said it came from his grandma. Eunice. Was it Eunice was his grandma? See, Christmas this year, if it's not already different, make it a little different. 
When you get your family together, if nobody else is going to do it, you step up and say, we're reading Luke. We're reading about G. We're reading why Christmas even exists. Tell them, say, give me about five minutes here. Let's all remember why we got, why we're here. That's the first thing I'll be doing. I'll be setting everybody down and reading to them the, what's, why Christmas is here. And if nobody else is going to do it in your circle, step up. Say, let's remember why we're here. And when you get an opportunity, minister to the people during the holidays. You don't have to draw attention to yourself. You don't have to make a show. Maybe you just put your arm around your grandson and say, Hey, how's your faith? How's your spiritual life? Whatever. You know, that's, that's the greatest gift we can give. Remember, nothing more important in anybody's life, in your circle or mine, than what's going on with their faith. That's the most important thing in their life. I'll leave you with this, and the, and the people that watch us around the globe will probably appreciate this or know. Do you remember who Reggie White was? Reggie White was a wonderful football player, but he was a man of God. The Lord took him home early. I don't, I don't, I don't, that's not none of my business. <laughs> but he played for the Eagles and wound up playing for the Packers and just a wonderful man of God and all the guys some people I didn't realize till I watched that expose on him how much persecution he got he was persecuted by other players a lot of them by the writers sports illustrated because he was just too serious about his Christianity and I didn't realize that he lost hundreds of thousands and probably millions of dollars because he would not advertise for Miller High Life and people like that. He refused them. Wouldn't take their money. He said because, he said even though I have a position, he said if I take their money and, and advertise for them, he said I'm telling these young boys that it's okay to grow up that way. And I didn't realize how, I knew he preached the gospel and I knew he was adamant about talking about Jesus, but I didn't realize that he left money on the table and everything because his Christianity, and this is clear, his Christianity was more important to him than his football, than his money, than anything else in his life. And that's what we talked about last night, right? Where are those people? I said to my wife when we watched some of that expose this week, I said, where are those guys? Where are those guys that will walk away from money and everything to make sure God's first in their life and to make sure the rest of the world knows that? And these guys, some of them they were interviewing was giving him a, still giving him a hard time even though he's already dead. But one of those guys said he was just trying to keep people from going to hell. And he said, I'm one of them. He got through to me. What his name was Randall Cunningham. He said, I'm one of the guys that he got through to. And I'm glad he was that kind of guy. That's the kind of guys we see in Moses, right? That's the kind of people we're supposed to be. We may not all have a platform like Reggie White had. God, God decides all that. But we can be faithful. We can be faithful. 
Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for Christmas, what it means to us. I thank you most of all for my salvation. Thank you for the wonderful picture of Moses and how faithful he was. You said he was faithful in all his house. Thank you for modern examples of that, for men like Reggie White, people like that who were faithful. And I just pray, God, that you'll find us faithful, that, that what you said in Luke 18 and 8, when you return, will you find faith? I want to be one of the ones you find it in, Lord, when you return. May you find faith in all of us, in Jesus' name. Amen.